American Capitalism, A History, with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist. Coming out of the chaos of the Great Depression and World War II, Americans were ready for a return to stability, a stability they had not known, perhaps, ever in their lives, but it was something they adamantly desired. During World War II, the War Production Board had coordinated the economy of the United States. It coordinated finance, it coordinated production to make sure enough materials were there to fight the Nazis. After the war, these kinds of regulations and involvement by the state continued, both in the forms of financing research and development at corporations and closely regulating certain industries. Take, for instance, the rise of aerospace, which had both the support of government contracts and the cost-plus contracts that provided a stable revenue for the aerospace firms, as well as the regulation of the Civilian Aeronautics Board, which provided regulation for the entire airline industry. Similarly, AT&T was also regulated. Now, telephones in 1940 were only in about 40% of American households, but by 1960, they were in 80%. And so AT&T, which was well-regulated, it was by the FCC, was also an incredible growth industry and an opportunity for technical innovation in new areas of electronics. These large, sprawling oligopolies, each of these major post-war sectors only had a handful of big companies, brought stability to the economy. And stability was, is what was prized most, both for the people who were owners and managers and workers at these corporations. Competition was an anathema to the post-war corporation. Whether you were a manager, an owner, or just a worker, you liked the stability. You liked knowing what was going to happen tomorrow and the next year, and indeed five years into the future. Corporations focused on minimizing cost and minimizing risk rather than maximizing profit as a shareholder-oriented today corporation of today might do. Even for workers, it was a tremendous benefit. After the Treaty of Detroit with cost of living adjustments and pensions, workers could count on the stability of their jobs to provide for the future, allowing them to borrow with new forms of installment credit and mortgages so that they could have their own homes, cars, and all the other benefits of American capitalism. Banking was fabulously easy in the post-war. Bankers simply followed the so-called 363 rule. What is that? That is, you take deposits at 3%, you lend money out to businesses at 6%, and you go on the golf course by 3 p.m. This corporate stability is made possible by a new cadre of people within the corporations, known as planners, who were obsessed with the ability to forecast the future and make plans years in advance over what would happen. This came out of uh, the strategic planning during World War II as groups of people thought about games and war games and how to fight back against the Nazis. After the war, a generation of men, men got the GI Bill, went to college, and then became MBAs and became immersed in this new idea of managerial science. Now, of course, scientific management had been around for quite some time, but this wasn't just about maximizing labor productivity. 
It was about organizing the entirety of a corporation, organizing it along the lines that Sloan had pioneered at General Motors in the 1920s, the M-form corporation or multidivisional corporation. And we see after World War II that nearly all major American corporations adopt this model, even Ford. Henry Ford died in 1947, leaving behind him a shell of a company. It had once been the envy of the world. It, in fact, had defined what mass production was. But by the post-war period, it was very clear that Ford was no longer triumphant. And so when he died, the company passed to his grandson, also named Henry Ford II. Grandson Ford wants to reorganize the company. And so he brings in people who had been trained in wartime logistics and financial controls, people who understood this modern science of management. Robert McNamara is at the center of this group of people known as the Whiz Kids, who come into Ford, reorganizing it along M-form lines and bring about a rejuvenation of that venerable American company. The consequence of this corporate planning was an unprecedented stable economy. Stable for workers, stable for managers, stable even for investors. It meant that corporations could focus on the long term. Now, in one sense, this is very good. It allows them to deeply invest in research and development. And it's in this moment that we see large corporations uh, produce all the technical marvels that are still the foundation of our economy today. The transistor, for instance, is developed at Bell Labs, part of AT&T, and it's still the foundation of most of our electronics today. Now, the downside to all of this is that these managers began to have a faith in managerial metrics, this abstract science of planning. This had dire consequences in the 1960s. They began to confuse the roots of their success with their metrics and these plans, these thick books of the future that perhaps never occurred, with the stability afforded by large-scale macroeconomic planning and the innovation through investment in R&D. This leads to, as we'll talk about in the future, the conglomerate craze of the 1960s, where people begin to believe a little too much in managerial science with dire consequences for the future of the corporation. For more information, go to edX.org and look for American Capitalism, A History, with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist. Or go to Facebook.com slash American Capitalism MOOC. This podcast has been brought to you by Cornell X from Cornell University. Mm-hmm.